I'm going to read a second gospel lesson this morning, taken from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, beginning at verse 33. Luke 23, 33. St. Luke records, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching, while the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence and condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And and he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be be with me in paradise. Again, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. The story is told of a, um, a young boy who was walking along the street and he sees a telephone pole and on the telephone pole a homemade sign announcing a reward for a lost dog. It said this, reward, lost dog, has three legs, blind in the left eye, missing the right ear, tail broken, accidentally neutered, answers to the name Lucky. Maybe the fact that he's still alive does, in fact, make him a little lucky. But it's not what we think of when we think of luck, is it? We think of that, um, you know, that, that girl who always seems to fall into good fortune. Or, or that guy who could take his last dollar and buy a lottery ticket and hit a million. You know, that's lucky. That's what we think of as being lucky. Luck is the one thing that usually eludes our Cleveland Browns, right? It's the, it's the thing that usually falls into people like the Dallas Cowboys or whoever. Luck is not something that we usually think of as, as hardship. Well, it, it's, it's th- those kind of good things. I remember the, the first religion course I ever took in undergrad. The professor was going over the syllabus, and he was talking about how we would be evaluated. A series of quizzes, examinations, you know, that sort of thing. And he actually had, right in the syllabus, you can do one of two things. You can study hard and prepare for these exams and quizzes, and perhaps do well in the course. Or you could rely on luck and probably not do so well. And he says, and luck really isn't a vital part of anyone's good theology, so you perhaps should study instead. And, and some of my friends did, and, and um, some of them relied on luck. And they usually found out that luck doesn't work in, in a university course. But you know lucky people, though, haven't you? You know those lucky people. You know, they get a check in the mail from someone they didn't even know passed away and left them in their will. They're the people who always pull up to the grocery store and there's a parking space right in the front. They're the people who, no matter what they do, it always comes out good for them, don't they? You know, they always seem to be falling good fortune. I've never been that guy, you know? I've never been that guy who, who always seems to find, uh, you know, good things no matter what, good fortune. But I'm not unlucky either. I don't think of myself unlucky, and probably most of you kind of fall in that same place. You don't really think of yourself as lucky, but you're not unlucky. You're just somewhere in the middle. But you've known unlucky people your life, haven't you? 
You've known those, those ones who always seem to be falling into misfortune, whether it's financial or relationship or, or health problems or legal problems. It's like it just follows them around like this dark cloud that wherever they go, it, it sort of follows them. Some of you may be saying, over here, brother, I'm, right, I'm that guy, you know. You may feel that way, but, but just a minute. Let, let me give you an example um, of a guy perhaps you may have heard of, Roy Sullivan. Roy Sullivan was struck by lightning not once, not twice, not three times. Roy Sullivan was struck by lightning, get this, seven times in his life. Do you know what the odds of being struck by lightning seven times in your life are? Well, I'll tell you. It's one times 22, or one in 22 times 10 to the 24th power. That's 22 and 24 zeros after it. That is a, I think they call it, a billion trillion. One in a billion trillion chances of being struck by lightning seven times. You know nobody wants to go golfing with Roy. You know, they, they, they stay away from him. Or there's another, another couple, um, Jason and Jenny Lawrence. Jason and Jenny Lawrence are from, from England. Uh, they live in the northern part of England, and they, they, um, they were traveling on vacation. They probably said on holiday. Uh, in 2001, they went to Manhattan in September of 2001. And we're in downtown Manhattan on September the 11th, 2001. And though they were lucky to have escaped with their lives, they witnessed the most horrific terrorist attack in the history of the United States. They traveled back home to England and then in 2005 decided to take holiday in London, stay in the country and go to London. They were traveling on the tube, going from place to place, visiting different shops and the like. What happens in 2005 in London? The worst terrorist attack in, in the history of the country, in the tube and on the, the bus stations, and they were there to witness that as well. They survived, perhaps consider themselves lucky to have survived. And a few years later, in 2008, thought, we're going to go somewhere really different. Let's go to Mumbai in India. I mean, nothing ever happens in India, right? They're in 2008, they're in Mumbai, India. What happened in 2008 in Mumbai, in India? Yes, you're right, the, a, a terrorist attack, they're there to witness it yet again. And, though they were certainly lucky to survive, I'm sure they would have said, they witnessed a third terrorist attack. I know that none of their friends will go with them on vacation, no matter where they go. But they saw it firsthand. All of us here... Through the news media, through television, through, through newspaper, through radio and the internet, we all have witnessed what terrorism has done to the world. We know just the difference in the way the world operates today versus the way it did you know, uh, 10 or 12 years ago. How, how, what a, what a you know, remarkable change has taken place in our world. We have witnessed it through, through the lens of a camera. Imagine... James and, James and Jenny, who, are, who see it firsthand. They're there for these events. Imagine how it must have impacted their lives. Imagine the difficulty in, in witnessing these, these terrorist attacks. The gospel that I read to you has another, another scene of human carnage. It's a horrific scene. It's the scene of Jesus of Nazareth being crucified. Uh, crucifixion was an awful, awful way to die. 
In fact, contrary to popular opinion, Romans did not crucify every Tom, Dick, and Harry that came along. They didn't, they didn't crucify people for, for shoplifting or squealing their chariot tires too loud in the neighborhood. That's not why they crucified people. They crucified people for one reason. For, for trying to raise up a rebellion against the empire. As I said, it was a horrific way to die. And it was reserved only for criminals against the state. In fact, it was so barbaric, a manner of death. It was so, so awful, the way that the person would die, that it was only reserved for non-Roman citizens. If you were a Roman citizen and you tried to stage a coup d'etat and you were caught, they would, they would execute you. But not through crucifixion. Crucifixion was so horrific, it was reserved only for non-Romans. Jesus was crucified. He died a type of death that has been viewed by many the, the, the most awful crucifixion or most awful execution in the history of humanity. When you are when you're put on a cross, you actually begin to suffocate by the weight of your own body. Your body is so heavy against your lungs that you can't breathe. Add to that that Christ was crucified with nails in His hands and feet. The only way that you could breathe was to pull your body up, to lift up with your legs and your your arms as much as you could so that oxygen could come into your lungs. But then he had a choice, doesn't he? Does he pull up on these nails that are, that are piercing his hands and, and have that, that pressure against his hands and feet just to breathe or to suffocate under the weight of, uh, of his own body? As awful as a way to die as that might be, can you imagine being a spectator to that event? Here you are in Jerusalem, walking down the road, minding your own business, doing your own thing. The Romans would execute people on the side of the road so that everybody who is going to market or going to visit somebody or going anywhere would see this person hanging. They wanted it to be a public testimony. If you mess with us, if you try to, to, to thwart our government plans, this is what's going to happen to you. Imagine now yourself walking down the streets of Jerusalem and here are three men crying out in pain, in agony as they hang upon the cross. Rome wanted it to be clear. You try to mess with us? This. This is what waits for you. Now here's a real irony of history. Here is a real irony of history. The Romans wanted the people to witness it. They wanted them to see it. And yet, how many people saw it and did not realize what was really taking place that day? Oh yeah, another crucifixion. Another execution. Another man, another three men died. We've seen this before. Notice how the, the, the soldiers are casting lots for the clothing. That perhaps somebody had thrown a, an expensive cloth over Jesus. They say that they had thrown a, a purple robe around his back, which was very expensive. And maybe they just wanted to kind of, you know, get this guy's going to be dead in a few hours, you know, he's not going to be needing this robe anymore. So, you know, maybe they're maybe they're uh, throwing their dice or, or casting their lots to see who wins that. But I wonder if it's not a souvenir. I wonder if it's not you know, this guy calls himself a king, you know. Let's take this. You know, I want a little piece of this kind of, remember, hey, I was there. I was the one who, who helped nail him to the cross. And miss the significance of what was really going on. But it's not just the soldiers. In verse 35, listen to the, what St. What, what Luke says. 
And the people stood by watching. It, it's, to, it's to see with your eyes. They stood by and they looked. They saw what was going on. The people were out there. The crowd was gathered. They saw what was happening. They saw Him dying on this cross. They were witnessing it with their eyes. And yet, they somehow still weren't seeing it. I think even the most strident follower of Jesus that day, even the most determined, the, 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 you know, the, the disciple of all disciples was looking on and saying, Oh my goodness, it's over. This whole messianic movement, this whole kingdom of God is done. Look what's going on. We're finished. They saw and yet they didn't see. And then there's, of course, one other twist of irony. All sorts of them in this, in this passage. They get up there and they hang a sign. Uh, titulus crucis. Uh, it's, this, it's a sign that's hung up above the cross. You've seen, perhaps, on, on crucifixes, I-N-R-I, right? Uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In some manuscripts it says it was put up there in three different languages. In Latin, in Greek, in Hebrew. Lest anybody miss it. Don't miss what you're seeing here. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Not He said He was King of the Jews. Not others said He was King of the Jews. But King of the Jews, this one. That's what it says literally. King of the Jews, this one. The Holy Lamb of God. Perfect sacrifice for sin. What Isaiah calls the suffering servant of God. Hanging there. And everyone saw it. And everyone missed it. At the same time. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the church year. We begin Advent 1 next Sunday. And we tell the whole story all over again. We've been doing this for... Well, over 2,000 years now. We keep telling this story every year. We're waiting. He comes. He lives. He dies. He's crucified. He's resurrected. Go tell the message to the world. This has been our pattern. Let me tell you what. Next year, same pattern. <laughs> it's a preview of things to come. We're not going to change on this. Today's the last day. The last day of the church year. And so a question comes to all of us. What have we witnessed this year? Have we witnessed the crucified Lord? Have we seen the cross and its power in our own lives? Has it been a part of our day-to-day life? Yeah, I know Sunday church need it. Have to have it. Couldn't live without it. And not just because I work here. Okay, but I know that it's an important part of our lives. Food drives, feeding the poor. Every week we do it. Coats for needy people, uh, absolutely. Bible studies, got to have them. But what about the resurrected Christ on Monday morning? On Tuesday morning? On Thursday evening? What about that? Has that resurrected Christ been a part of your life? Has it been a part of mine? Where's the cross that's a souvenir that we carry around? Oh, remember when? I remember when I was, I was just 10 years old. I played baseball. I played baseball for the, the Medway Dodgers, a little, a little team just on the north side of Dayton. And um, there's this kid on my, on my baseball team named Ernie. And Ernie and I were good friends. And, and uh, I remember Ernie telling me one day, my dad's taking me to the Reds game tomorrow. It was Saturday. And it was going to be, oh, Ernie was so excited. It's bat giveaway day. Not one of those little dinky bats, but a, you know, a, a, a little league-sized 27-inch baseball bat. And, 
Woodman, oh, he was so excited. Great day. And I, oh, Ernie, I hope you have a great time, whatever. I'm a little jealous, I'm sure, as a little kid, you know. And, 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 and that Saturday morning, Ernie got up and his dad said, Ernie, uh, your sister's sick and um, she can't go. And, and we got an extra ticket. You got a friend you'd like to take with you. Ernie said, I'd love to take Joe Boyle with me. Let's go get him. And he said, well, you should call him. No, let's just go pick him up. He'll be at home. I spent the night with my cousin that night who lived right around the corner. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ernie drives up to the house, knocks on the door. Uh, Joe's not here. He spent the night with his cousin around the corner. Oh, that's too bad. And Ernie's walking back to his car, and there's my next-door neighbor, Danny, who also played on the same baseball team with me and Ernie. Hey, Danny, want to go to a Reds game? That afternoon I get home, here comes Ernie and Danny, chocolate ice cream stains around their mouth, lugging these baseball bats that say Cincinnati Reds and George Foster and whoever else's name's on it, you know. And I could have beat Danny with that bat that day. <laughs> it was so close. I was that close. And I missed it. So unlucky. Isn't it a shame that when you're that close and you miss it? Imagine if it was something really important. Amen.